Hey, uh, I love that song, and Kate is too humble to admit this, but she wrote that song. So let's go. That's right. I don't ever get that kind of yelling. Uh, Hey, so uh, I haven't been up here in a minute. It's great to be back together with you. If you don't know who I am, I'm Kyle, uh, one of the co-directors here for Veritas, uh, and am thrilled to be here tonight. Also tonight here are three little kiddos in the very back who don't have school tomorrow, and so mom is being cool mom and let them sneak into Veritas. So um, they're here. Let's go. Uh, So uh, I mentioned my three kids. Some of you are shocked right now. You're like, that dude has three kids? Oh my gosh. I do. Uh, Lily, Lucy, and Jack. This is a picture of my youngest son. Uh, I guess I only have one son, youngest child. This is Jack, Uh, his seventh birthday this past November. Uh, And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how did you come up with your kids' names, right? Like, is there anything significant about them? Uh, Or is it just kind of random names that you liked? And uh, with all of our kids, they, they have different meanings for different reasons. But with Jack in particular, uh, his name was, was pretty easy for us. So Jack, if you don't know, means God is gracious. God is gracious. Now, why did we name Jack uh, God is gracious? Well, uh, here's a little backstory. Uh, when we found out that Noel was pregnant... Uh, with Jack, uh, we also found out that there were some pretty serious complications with her pregnancy. It was a few weeks into her pregnancy, and the doctor said, hey, there's, there's some problems. Now, I've got to fast forward in the story a long time. Several months later, as you can imagine, that's scary, right? It's always scary to hear that there are uh, problems with the pregnancy, uh, fast forward a few months and a lot of details in between, and now it's about August, middle of August, actually the day of a Veritas kickoff uh, barbecue at Peace Park, and uh, we are on our way to a hospital uh, because things have gotten worse, uh, and when I say gotten worse, they were pretty bad. We checked into the hospital, and I remember the doctors and nurses telling us, preparing us for the worst, and I say the worst Uh, because they said to us, hey, there's a chance that your son is going to be born today. Now, at at that point in the pregnancy, Noel was about 27 weeks along, which if you know anything about being pregnant, which I don't expect necessarily that you would, but uh, suffice it to say, that's really, really, really early. They gave Noel steroid shots to help Jack's lungs develop as rapidly as possible. They, they, They literally said every minute at this point matters. And so here we are in this hospital room, and we're preparing for the worst. Now, you see his picture, and and so you know the worst didn't happen. Uh, He wasn't born that day. In fact, he wasn't born for another three months, uh, 39 weeks. He had to be induced, and when he was born, perfectly healthy insofar as we know. And so God is gracious to us. Now, why am I telling you that story? Well, I'm telling you that story because for me in my life, Going through that, certainly this is true for Noel too, but for me especially going through that, it's, it's been one of those things that God has used in my life to bring into focus what really matters. God used that in my life to bring into focus what was really important to me. Now, I'll be honest, it was, it was pretty shocking, right? I, I said I was scared. We were scared. 
But that event, going through that, it woke me up. It got my attention. It helped me to see what was really important to me. I've been thinking a lot about that, not just for myself, but, but for all of you in this room too. And I've been thinking that, wondering that if, if in the midst of all of the noise and distraction, if all of the, in spite of all of the voices that are constantly shouting at you, constantly, and I say constantly, right? It's constantly a t- a competing for your time and your attention, whether online or in person. It's never ending, isn't it? I've been wondering if in the midst of all the busyness, all the hurry, if you're ever able to hit pause, to slow down, to stop, to reflect on what matters to you and what's really important to you in your life. Several years ago, there was an online magazine called Smith Magazine, and and they asked a question one day, I don't know whose idea it was, but they asked a question one day to their subscribers. The question was this. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? If you had to summarize your life in in, in six words, only six words, what would they be? So, So they put this question out online, and as you can imagine, the responses just come flooding in. Here's what some of them say. In seconds, everything I knew changed. Just take the risk. Why not? This was written by a little kid. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. Overcoming anxiety means letting people in. The psychic said I'd be richer. Okay. Thought I'd have more impact. Six words to tell a story. And, and that's exactly what that does, right? I mean, some of those stories are happy. Some are sad. Six words to tell a story about your life. Six words to, uh, to, to, to summarize the significance of your life. And that's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. Why? Because it, it forces us to focus on what matters. If you get six words to describe the significance of your life, you've got to zero in on what matters, what's really important. And so what would you say? I saw that and I was like, man, what would, I, what, what would you say? If you had, just think about that for a second. If you had six words to describe your life, What about six words to describe this school year so far? Okay, what about six words just to describe this semester? What would you say? See, what would you say matters to you? What would you say is your purpose in life? Now, I'm not trying to be too heavy, and I'm not trying to get, you know, too philosophical on you, right? But... But those are important questions. What matters to you? What, what's your purpose in life? Now, maybe you aren't sure. And to be honest, that's okay because you aren't alone. There's a, a national survey recently done, and it found a lot of things, but it found this that I thought was especially interesting. 43% of 18 to 24-year-olds have a clear picture of what they want in life. 
Even more, only 30% know why they're here. 43% know what they want in life. 30% of 18 to 20-year-olds have any idea of why we're here, why you're here, why I'm here. This is interesting to me. We've been talking, you've been hanging with Veritas this, this last year. We've been talking about, you're probably tired of me talking about it, but we've been talking about these three questions that it seems like your generation is asking. These, these three questions, the first being, uh, where do I belong? Where do I belong? Who am I? And this third question, what's my purpose? So it's interesting to me that, that these are three of the most important questions. And it's even more interesting to me that this question, what's my purpose, is one of the most important questions to you. It's one of the most important things in your life, asking and answering that question, what's my purpose? Everybody's asking the question, but it's interesting to me, only 30 to 40% of you have an answer. Now, I don't say that to make you feel bad. I just highlight the, the, the reality that we're asking the question, but a lot of us don't have an answer. And even if we do have an answer, do we really know why that's our purpose? Why that thing that we think matters so much actually matters? All of this is why I'm excited. If you followed us on social, you've seen, or maybe this is the first time, we're starting a new series tonight. We're calling it The Pursuit of Purpose. And in particular, we're going to do this through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I don't know if you're familiar or not with Ecclesiastes. You might be wondering, why are we going to study together Ecclesiastes? Well, here's the thing. Ecclesiastes, maybe more than any other book in the Bible, maybe more than any other book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes forces us to wrestle with, to think about the meaning in life and what our purpose in life actually is. And so it's going to raise all sorts of questions for us over the next six-ish weeks, seven weeks. It's going to raise all sorts of questions that we're going to answer. Questions like, what's the point? Why am I here? Why does any of this matter? Why does my life matter? What should I do with my life? Now, I'll be honest with you up front. Ecclesiastes is not an easy book to read. It's not an easy book to understand. If you go home tonight and read Ecclesiastes, you're going to be like, bro, What? That's how it feels. It feels like that to me too, right? It's not the easiest book. It's, it fits in a category. Uh, uh, the Bible is written in lots of different genres. One of the genres, the genre that, that Ecclesiastes fits into is, is called wisdom literature. But the problem, not the problem, but the challenge is it doesn't read. If you've read it, you know it doesn't read like typical wisdom literature. So Ecclesiastes does not read like, say, Proverbs, which is also wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes is far more poetic, it's far more reflective, it's far more moody, it's full of tension and, and lots of mystery. Now, strictly speaking, again, just some background, we have no idea who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 1 says this, it says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So, so whoever is writing this wants to introduce us to someone in the very first verse. And the ver the, the, that person is this teacher. Who's the teacher? Well, again, we don't know. People will claim that they know, but the reality is, is, is we don't know. Most people would say, at least for a long time, scholars, people have said that this teacher, it's obvious, right, is the son of David, king in Jerusalem, which would be Solomon. 
And so for a long time, scholars have said, well, it's right there in the verse. It's this teacher is the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So this is when Solomon is king in Jerusalem because he's David's son. This has to be him. For reasons that I don't have time to get into, that has become disputed. And so what some people say, what some scholars say now, is that uh, it's not the teacher isn't exactly Solomon. Rather, it's, it's written from Solomon's perspective, or it's someone like Solomon, someone with wisdom, someone with the kind of power that Solomon had. Either way, just hang with me, either way, what Ecclesiastes is, is 12 chapters of someone searching for meaning and purpose. 12 chapters of someone searching for, this teacher searching for, we're going to get to learn from his mistakes. And I say mistakes because there are a lot of mistakes. 12 chapters of searching for meaning and purpose, and we get to learn from it. But here's the thing, it's not going to be a happy book to read. It's not happy. It's not going to give you warm fuzzies. In fact, it's often bleak. It's often depressing and sad and cynical and despairing. Then why are we reading it? Well, one, it's in the Bible. It's God's word. But two, and more importantly, well, not more importantly than the fact that it's God's word, but two, right, Ecclesiastes uses those things to bring into focus what matters. It's like that thing that I went through with my son. It brought into focus what was important. It brought into focus what mattered in my life. That's what Ecclesiastes is going to do for us. It's going to bring into focus what matters according to God. Okay? So we're going to pick up verse 2. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. This is how it starts. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I'm so glad you're here. Right? I told you, bleak, sad, depressing. I'm not kidding. Right? Like, like what, really? Meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless, utterly meaningless? Come on, man. Actually, meaningless isn't the best way to translate. So the, the, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. Okay? And, and this is an English translation of a Hebrew word. And so the, the problem with meaningless is that when we hear meaningless, this is the NIV, by the way, uh, when, when we translate that Hebrew word into meaningless, the thing is, meaningless, it kind of conveys this sense that, that life has no point. Like we read that and we're like, okay, I get it, dude. You think that there's no point to life. But that's not exactly what the, the teacher is driving at. It's not exactly what he wants. Other translations, like say the, the ESV, if you read the ESV, if you pulled up Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, it's going to say vanity. So it's going to say vanity of vanity. It's all vanity, right? And, and the problem with that is that's not entirely, it's not wrong, but it's just not entirely the, the sense that the, the teacher's trying to convey. Because when we hear vanity, we start to think about like being self-consumed. We start thinking about, you know, being really proud, those kinds of things. That's not quite it. See, the Hebrew word, if you let me be dorky for a second, the Hebrew word here that's being translated is hevel, okay? Hevel. Now you know some Hebrew. You can tell your friends, I know Hebrew. Nobody's going to do that. That's fine. Here's the thing. Hevel, it's used in Ecclesiastes 38 times, right? 38 times. So I say that because hevel is a very important theme repeated throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, 
And if it's important because it's repeated so much, then we've got to get at what it means. And what it means is, is this. It means something more like breath or, or, or smoke or, or vapor. So you can see how these are different than, than say, meaningless or, or vanity. Right? The, the Hebrew word is trying to get us to get the sense of, of breath or smoke or vapor. So, so uh, let's get at it like this. Imagine for a second uh, blowing out a candle. Right? What happens when you blow out a candle? You got fire, you blow, the thing goes away, right? And then you're left with smoke. Now, the thing about that smoke is it's real. You can grasp, you can like reach out and kind of touch it, you can smell it, you can see it, but it's hard to hold on to, right? Like you can't grab smoke and hold on to it, it's elusive, right? It's difficult to grasp. But the other thing about that smoke is that it, it goes away after a second or two, right? It's short-lived. And so why am I saying that? Well, that's what the teacher is trying to get at with respect to life. It's being used as a metaphor for life to get us to see that life is like candle smoke. It's elusive. It's real, but it's hard to grasp. It's real, but it's short-lived. It's going to go away. It's fleeting. Now, if, if this is all somewhat shocking to you, then you're exactly where Ecclesiastes wants you to be. You see, because this verse, meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, breath, breath, vapor, vapor, smoke, smoke, that's what life is all about. That's what life is like, hevel. It's a, it's a tactic. It's a shock tactic. Trying to wake us up. Trying to help us to focus our attention on what really matters. See, what Ecclesiastes really does, at the end of the day, here's the deal. Here's the summary of Ecclesiastes. What Ecclesiastes is going to do, it's going to deconstruct all of the ways that you and I find meaning and purpose in life apart from God. That's what Ecclesiastes does. It deconstructs all of the ways that, that we're trying to find life and meaning apart from God. And as it does that, this is the central question behind it all. Ecclesiastes 1.3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? It's not getting any better, is it? What do we gain by all of our labors at which we toil under the sun? So think about your life for a second. Just, just think about your life. This semester, I don't care. Your life. What are you living for? Think about that. What, what are you, like, what's the it for you? What are you living for? What are you working so hard for? Why do you get up? Why do you go, what, why do you do what you do? What are you working for? What are you trying to accomplish? Now, let me ask you the question that Ecclesiastes is, is asking you. What do you have to gain from any of that? What do you have to gain from all of your work, from all of your labor, from all of your toil? Here's a better question. What do you have to gain that actually lasts? What do you have to gain from all of that? This is the question Ecclesiastes is putting in front of us. What do you have to gain from any of that that will actually last? Life is heaven. And so what's the point? What's the point? Verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. 
Okay, I want to try something. Quick show of hands. Raise your, I want you to, don't cheat, but I want you to raise your hands if you know who John Tyler, Zachary Taylor, Franklin Pierce, Chester Arthur is. Raise your hand. At best, I see 10. Okay, uh, to be completely honest, 11. Carson put his hand up. 12. I'm not going to keep going. I don't have a clue. When I saw this list, I had no idea who these dudes were. No idea. So I'm throwing myself under the bus. Son, you don't know who these guys are. They're former U.S. presidents. Jack's in the back. Yeah, I know. No, he doesn't. All four of these dudes are presidents. Presidents of the not some other country. No, presidents of the United States. All four of these guys. I had no idea. Right? It's the most powerful. It's the most influential position, arguably, in our country. And most of us in here have no idea who they were. Okay, let's make it a little more personal. Um, raise your hand if you know your grandparents. Good, most of you. That's awesome. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Uh, keep your hands up only if you know your great-grandparents. Not just like I did a 23andMe and I know their name, but like I know my great-grandparents. Okay, so, so a lot went down. There's still some up. Okay, now keep your hands up only if you know your great-great-grandparents. I don't believe you. Yeah. Okay, great, great. That's impressive. So keep them up if you know your great-great-great-grandparents. Nobody. I didn't quite go as planned, but I got close. You get the point, though, right? It's, if we think about it, honestly, if you really think about that fact, that 99.9%, that .9%, one person in this entire room knew their great-great-grandparent. Right? Like, that's, that should be somewhat sobering. I mean, the reality is that, that my kids' kids, their kids, might not know who I am. That's sobering. See, it's interesting. We want to be great. We, we want to do something. I say we, I do too. We want to do something. We want to make a difference in this world. And so we work, and we labor, and we toil, and we chase money, and we chase power, and we chase influence, all so that we can make a name for ourselves. But here's the thing. According to Ecclesiastes 1.4, that name you're working so hard that I'm working so hard for people to know, a couple generations from now, nobody's going to have a clue who you are. They're not going to know who we are. We're working so hard, and nobody's going to know us. Keep going. Picking up in verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. See, hear this monotony? You just hear the, the repetition in these verses up, down, back again. South, north, round and around. Streams flow. Water evaporates. Rain falls. The process starts all over again. Streams flow. Water evaporates. Rain falls and it starts all over again. See, it's a metaphor, right? Life is short. Hevel. Life is short. Life is elusive. It's difficult to grasp at times, but it's also repetitive. Up, down, again. Up, down, again. Eat. Sleep. 
Something in between. Eat. Sleep. Every single day. What's the point? That's the question Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is driving at. What is the point? Verse 8. All things, all things, not some things, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. See, what the teacher is trying to teach us is that we can try to evade the reality of the point that he's making, but according to him, take his word for it, it's not going to work. You can try to evade this reality, but the deal is it's not going to work. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to satisfy. You're never going to be filled. See, this is the ancient wisdom of the Bible, and we see it play out in our day. Tom York, he is the front man of the band Radiohead. I don't know if you know who Radiohead is, but, but Radiohead has been a massively successful band throughout uh, its, its history, right? One of the biggest rock bands of the 21st century for sure. And Tom York is the front man, the lead guy. And uh, several years ago in an interview, uh, he, he said this. He said, I thought when I got to where I wanted to be, everything would be different. I'd be somewhere else. I thought it'd all be white, fluffy clouds. And then I got here, and I'm still here. And so in this interview, the interviewer asks a follow-up question and says, well, why in the end have you done what you've done? York replies, it's filling the hole. That's all anyone does. Why, why, why do you do what you do? Well, I'm just filling the hole. That's what we all do, right? Interviewer goes on and asks this. He says, what happens to the hole? And in the interview, York has this long pause. Like he's thinking. What happens to the hole? He's thinking. And then he says this. He says, it's still there. What do you do? Why do you do what you do? I'm just, just filling the hole. Well, what happens to the hole? Does it ever get filled? No. It's still there. Harvard recently released a uh, study. It's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And there are lots of interesting uh, kind of nerdy things. But the payoff quote is, is this. Success isn't inherently bad. Just don't expect it to make you happy. At least not for long. Right? Because success will make us happy, temporarily so at least, right? Anybody who's had any sort of success in their life knows that, that it's good to be successful, right? Everybody in this room wants to be successful. But at least according to the Harvard study that recently came out, it's, it's not going to really make you happy. Not for long, anyway. And so all these things, right, all of these things, the question is, what are we living for? What are you living for? Why? What is it that you and your life, what are you filling that hole with? 
What is it for you? Now, now here's a different question. It's a little bit harder, but, but is it actually working? Is it actually filling that hole, whatever the hole is, whatever you're putting into the hole, is it actually filling it, or have you just convinced yourself that you're being filled? Continues chapter, or verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already. Long ago, it was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This is a summary of the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. No one remembers the former generations. No one's going to remember. And so think about that. I mean, if this is true, all of our working, all of our labor, all of our toil, think about it. I mean, some of us, and I say some, myself included, I've spoken about this in front of you all. Some of us are so crippled by anxiety because we so badly want to belong. We, we so badly want to matter. We're crippled by anxiety because we're trying so hard. We're working so hard. We're toiling because we want to be significant. But Ecclesiastes is forcing us to ask the question, what's the point if we're going to die, you're going to die, some of us sooner rather than later, what's the point if we're going to die and nobody's going to remember you? What's the point? See, I, I, I can tell that this stuff is heavy. It's heavy for me. And if you're sitting there wondering, what have I done? Why have I come to Veritas? This is going to be a terrible series. Just, just hang with us. Because if this feels heavy, if, if this stuff makes you a little uncomfortable, if it makes you sad, if it makes you a little depressed and cynical, what I want to say is that's okay. What I think the Bible wants us to do is to lean into that, not run away from it. I know that we don't like discomfort, but the Bible wants us to lean into it. You see, one of the uncomfortable truths about the Bible is that God often uses discomfort in our lives. One of the uncomfortable truths about the Bible is that God often uses discomfort in our lives for good. And in this case, I think the good is that God wants us to wake up. God wants us, he wants you to focus. Why? Because he wants to give you a purpose. He wants to give you a purpose. He wants to give you meaning that doesn't fade. Meaning and purpose that lasts. But that meaning and purpose that lasts, it only comes when we see life rightly. It only comes when we see our lives rightly. So Kirk Cousins, he's the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. His, uh, in the front of his house, on his front porch, is, is this. Maybe you've seen this. Um, kind of odd, right? Tower of Rocks. And, and, and people ask, like, what's up with the decoration, bro? And, and on the one hand, it's, it's decoration, sure. But, but for Kirk Cousins, it's more than that. It's actually an ode to Psalm 
90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12 says this. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So that tower of rocks on Kirk Cousins' porch reminds him of Psalm 90, verse 12, that says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is what Cousins says about it. He says, it's there to remind me how brief life is and how important the time we have is. It's there to remind me. I got this kind of ugly tower of rocks on my porch to remind me how, how brief life is and how important this time that we have is. And so the number of rocks in that tower, it's not random. It's 720. One for every month he tried to calculate, at least according to an average lifespan. It's just an estimate. It could all end tomorrow, right? But, but for him, 720 rocks. If he lives an average life, 720 rocks is all he's got left. At the beginning of every month, he takes a rock out of that tower. He puts it in his pocket. He says the, the feel of the rock, the stone in his hand, in his pocket as he's walking around for the month, it reminds him of these truths. The time is running out. The time he has left, he wants to use it. And after that month is over, he takes a rock, he throws it away, and it's gone. It never goes back in the tower. One less month to live. And he goes on and he says this. He says, when you have an understanding that life is coming to an end someday and that we only have so many days, there's wisdom in that. He says, it forces you to ask. Pay attention to this. He says, it's, it forces you to ask, what impact are you making? Not only today, but for all eternity. See, music team, you guys can go ahead and come back. See, what Ecclesiastes is going to do for us over the next six weeks, it's going to give us, kind of repeatedly so, this really uncomfortable truth. And, and, and maybe I'm going to say this, and it's going to make you even more uncomfortable than you already are. But Ecclesiastes is going to give us the uncomfortable truth that apart from God, this is all there is. Apart from God, this, this is it. This is all you got. You can, you can search the world, Ecclesiastes, the teacher is going to tell us. You can search the world, but it's not going to fill you. You can chase money, you can chase wealth, you can chase human praise, but it's not going to be enough. And by the way, pretty soon it's all going to be over. Again, some of us sooner rather than later. Or, or, you and I, we can have an impact, not just for today, not just tomorrow, but for all eternity. We can have an impact for all eternity with Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. What does that mean? What does that look like? But tonight I just kind of wanted to set this all up, and I want to leave you kind of wrestling with this. When you think about your life, when you think about your six-word memoir up to this point in your life, do you want a purpose that fades? Or do you want a purpose that lasts for all eternity? See, the purpose that lasts for all eternity, it's found in Jesus. Amen.